But now I want us to turn to God's Word. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. I want you to look at verses 35 through verse 42. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35, and we'll read through verse 42. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. If you have a different translation, I'm sure it's going to be very close. So let's stand in in honor of God's Word as I read this portion. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you going? And he said, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Those are precious words. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. May God bless. This is God's word. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Again, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, nothing good is going to take place today apart from your work in my heart and in the hearts of your people here today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will take your word and break it for us, that we might understand it, that we might be able to correctly apply it to our lives, that we might leave here different than we came. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want to begin just with a question. And the question might surprise you a bit, but the question is this. What will they write on your tombstone? Now, I'm almost 70 years old, and, you know, that's all God promised. So, you know, I'm thinking about that more than ever. And some of you young people, you might say, well, that's just a long ways off. Not really. Not really. (laughs) Our time on earth is so brief. It really is. What will they write on your tombstone? I personally believe that the best thing that could ever be said about a Christian is this. He walked with God, or she walked with God. Without a doubt, I believe that that has to be the best thing that could ever be said about another Christian. In fact, that was the testimony of some of the great people of God. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, we read, Enoch walked with God. He had that fellowship and that communion with God. He walked with God, and then 
Also in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. In fact, that's what God requires of all those who claim to be his followers. Listen to the prophet Micah in chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. But what does that mean? I mean, really, what, what does it mean to walk with God? I want to answer that question this morning by, you know, looking at the life of a man who walked with his God. And his name is Peter, the Apostle Peter. I believe there are three characteristics in the life of Peter that demonstrate what it means to walk with God. And the first one is this. My first point is this. It's a radical obedience to Jesus' radical call to discipleship. A radical obedience to Jesus' radical call to discipleship. But, you know, that's a mouthful. But I want us to dig into the Scriptures and see exactly what that really means. As we saw in our reading, uh, Peter's brother Andrew was the one who introduced him to Jesus. Andrew said to Peter, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. I love those words. He brought him to Jesus. He led him to Jesus. And I believe personally that at that very moment, Simon Peter was saved. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was saved. But you know, Peter's call to discipleship did not take place until days later. When Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Peter and Andrew fishing. Jesus came up to them, and he said, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, that was a radical call. And, and let me just tell you why. Let me just tell you why. Fishing was all Peter ever knew. You know, that was his livelihood. That was his way of life. He knew absolutely nothing but fishing. Now try to put yourself in, in Peter's shoes just for a moment. Suppose Jesus was still here on earth and he walked up to you, maybe at your school or walked to you at, up to you at your workplace, and he said, I want you to quit your job. I want you to quit your job. And I want you to follow me. That's precisely what Jesus was calling Peter to do. Precisely. It was a radical call. Now, we might expect Peter to respond by saying something like, Jesus, this is a big decision. I'm going to have to think this over. Or, you know, Jesus, you know, I'm not really sure what you mean by following you. Or Peter... Or Jesus, you know, uh, I've got to talk it over with the wife, you know. She's got to be on board with this. Or, or I need to talk with my fishing partners. I, I at least must give them a two weeks notice. But Peter didn't pause. He wasn't reluctant. He didn't question. In fact, he didn't give it a second thought. 
In Mark chapter 1, verse 18, we read, And immediately they left their nets, that is, all he had, understand that, all he had, and followed him. It was a radical call, and Peter responded with a radical obedience. And that's a mark of discipleship. A mark of discipleship. You know, the word disciple is used in the Gospels in different ways. Uh, sometimes it is used of those who were curious of Jesus. You know, they followed him because he was making bread. They followed him because of all the miracles that he, that he performed. Uh, they were not saved. They were just curious. They were curious. The word is also used of those who were convinced. Those who were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and they believed in him. And I believe that many of these, of course, came to know him and, and were saved. We would say that they were saved. But it is also used of those who were committed. Those who were totally committed to Jesus Christ. I mean, they were sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, Peter had already believed, I believe. He had already come to faith in Jesus Christ. But now he took that next step of discipleship. Now he was totally Committed, totally committed to Jesus Christ. I know that in my own personal life, uh, I was saved as a, as a youngster. Um, I didn't know a lot, but I knew that I was a sinner. And I knew that I could not do anything about my eternal destiny. I could not save myself. And I believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Savior, that he was God himself, and that he was the Savior, and he died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again, and, and, and if I put my trust in him, he would save me. And I did that, and I was saved. But it wasn't until years later that I totally committed my life and my way to Jesus Christ. Now, I would think that most of us here today are saved. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But have you taken that next step of discipleship? Are you totally committed to Jesus Christ? Are you sold out to Him? You know, when we sing, I surrender all, do we really mean it? Now, I have to ask myself that all the time. Do I really mean I surrender all, or, or do I really mean I surrender some? I surrender some of the things in my life. I turn over some of the things in my life to you, Lord. Or do we really mean it? I surrender all. Well, Peter, he surrendered all, I'm convinced. Now, do we see evidence of this? Do we see evidence in the scriptures that, that Peter was now totally committed to Jesus Christ? And I believe we do. In Luke chapter 5, Peter and Andrew, James and John had spent the whole night fishing, <laughs> and they caught nothing. Maybe some of you are fishermen, you know, and it's not, it's not too fun to be out there all day long and catch nothing. Well, that was true of them. And then at dawn, they were on the shore washing and mending their nets, getting ready for another night of fishing. By the way, in the Sea of Galilee in this day, uh, the fish were night feeders, so they, they fished at night. So they were getting ready for another day of a fishing. Well, Jesus was teaching a large crowd on the beach nearby. So he asked Peter if, if he could use uh, his boat as a floating pulpit so that people could better understand and hear him. 
Well, after Jesus had finished um, teaching, he said to Peter, in chapter 5, verse 4, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. (laughs) Peter's answer is understandable in verse 5. He says, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Again, put yourself in, in Peter's shoes just for a moment. He had finished He had finished all night. He had been fishing all night without a single bite. He had caught absolutely nothing. He had been working all morning, mending and washing the nets. He was dead tired. And now Jesus was asking him to go back out into the deep and let down the nets. I know what I would have probably said. I would have probably said, Jesus, can it wait until tonight? We're going to be back out there in just a few hours. Can it wait? But Peter didn't argue, didn't question, he didn't whine. Now, when our children were little, they were whiners. Does anybody have children that are whiners? Just raise your hand. I'm probably not the only one, okay? And they were whiners when they didn't get what they wanted. Most children are like that. So they would whine, and, and I learned to do this. And it would really aggravate them, but I had a lot of fun. I would look at them and say, don't be a Mr. Whiner. But I'd say it something like this. Don't be a Mr. Whiner, Whiner. Don't be a Whiner. They didn't like that, but they got my point. You know, Peter was not a Whiner. No. When when Jesus told him to do something, he did it. He obeyed. He, He obeyed immediately. He was not a Whiner. Although he didn't understand why Jesus was asking him to do this, even though it made absolutely no sense to him, he obeyed. In verse 5, Peter said, But at your word, I will let down the nets. Again, that's that's another mark of a disciple. A disciple is obedient. Radical obedience. And Peter was totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Totally committed to him. And I can just picture Peter taking the boat out, dropping the net over the side of the boat, and immediately everything changed. In verses 6 and 7 we read, And they caught a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I want you to notice Peter's response in in verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, we need to just stop just for a moment because I think we see a lesson here. I know we do. An important lesson here. When we see Jesus for who he is, we begin to see ourselves for who we are. When we see Jesus for who he is, we begin to see ourselves as we really are. When Peter saw the greatness and the power and the glory of Jesus, he cries out, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus didn't want him to depart from him. He wanted him to join him, and that's what Peter does. Jesus says in verse 10, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I want you to think about that, that phrase, catching men. 
It, it literally means to catch alive. And Jesus, I believe, is saying to Peter, from now on, Peter, you won't be fishing for fish at night. From now on, you're going to be spending your time fishing for men, catching men alive. That's the mission of a disciple. You know, Jesus calls us to different vocations. And if, if we had an opportunity to find out where you work or whatever your place, we would have a variety of things. Jesus calls us to different vocations, but he calls us to one mission. And that is catching men for Jesus Christ. That's our mission. You say, well, how do we do that? Only one way. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. In other words, the gospel is the spiritual bait to catch men and women and young people for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel bait. So the question is, are you fishing? And I ask myself that same thing. You know, am I fishing? Just think about the word fish. F-I-S-H. Uh, that's kind of an acrostic, the way I look at it. F. Find someone who is far from God. We don't have to go far. You probably don't have, even have to leave your own uh, house to find someone who is far from God. Maybe an uncle or aunt or mother or father or whatever, child. Find someone who is far from God. I invest in that person's life. Spend time with them. Let them see Jesus in you. Yes. You know, share your testimony. Share what Jesus has done for you and share God's story. Share the gospel with them. And then H, help them come to know Jesus as their Savior and help them to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in discipleship. Now, let's go back to Peter's call to discipleship. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus in that one verse, that one verse, you know, tells us all that we really need to know about being a disciple. Jesus said, follow me. A disciple is a what? A follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. Radical obedience, obeying him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become. A disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. A disciple is committed to Jesus' mission. That was Jesus' mission. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's our mission too. So the question I asked this morning is, are, are you following Jesus? Are you obeying him? You know, are you being changed by him are you growing more and more like Jesus are you more like Jesus today than you were last year this time are you committed to Jesus's mission are you intentional about witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ catching men for Jesus my Christian friends if not you and I have no right to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ Walking with God is characterized by a radical obedience to Jesus' radical call to discipleship. Point number two. Point number two. Walking with God is characterized by a rock-solid faith in the person of Jesus Christ. A rock-solid faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, towards the end of Jesus' ministry in 
Matthew chapter 16, he led his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, which is in northern uh, Israel. And that was a place of refuge for Jesus. He often went there for spiritual renewal, for physical renewal. And I can just picture Jesus just standing, I mean, sitting with his disciples around a fire, just fellowshipping together when Jesus asked them a question, who do people say that I am? And they gave different answers. One spoke up and said, well, I've heard people say that you're John the Baptist. Come to life again. Another would say, well, I've heard people say that you're Elijah. You do miracles like Elijah did. Another spoke up and would say, um, one of the prophets like Jeremiah. Then Jesus looked at them straight in the eye and he says, but who do you say that I am? An impetuous Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And folks, Peter nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And I'm sure Jesus was smiling when he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed to this you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't get this revelation. You didn't get this, this, this truth from man. You know, you got it straight from God. And Jesus goes on and says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I believe that rock is the confession that he just made. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church. Peter gives a rock-solid confession of the person of Jesus Christ, the rock-solid confession upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. You see, a church built on anything else will fail. Anything else. A church that is built on personality, whether it be the personality of, uh, of the pastor or someone in the church, it will fail. A church that is built upon entertainment will fail. A church that is built upon tradition, as good as some traditions are, it will fail. A church that is built upon programs and gimmicks, like so many are, will fail. But a church that is built upon Jesus Christ and his word will never fail. Will never fail. Who is Jesus? Peter nails it. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want us to think about those two titles for Jesus. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. It points to the humanity of Jesus Christ. It, it points to what he came to do. Son of God. It points to the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. Who is Jesus? He is both God and man. 100% God, 100% man. Fully God, fully man. Now, if we aren't careful... It's easy for us to affirm the deity of Christ and minimize the humanity of Christ. Last Christmas, my wife and I read a, a Christmas devotional, and I was literally blown away by what I read. Um, it was a devotion that spoke of the incarnation of Christ, him becoming God becoming man in the person of Jesus. And while we must never slight, never minimize the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let me just read a few paragraphs, if you don't mind. It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. God became a man. Divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent 
and one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the embryonic fluid of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flesh of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a pleasant peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with Him. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have, had, he may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on Him or vice versa. It could be that His knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, and while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to willing women. He got colds, burped, had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. You know, to think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, to clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There is something about keeping him only divine that keeps him distanced, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sakes, don't. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and the muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Wow. Who is Jesus? Peter, Peter, Peter nailed it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, Jesus is God, but we must never forget that he is also fully man. Now glorified humanity. He became like us in every way except sin. And because he became a man, he can fully identify with you and me in every way. In our weaknesses, in our struggles, in our heartaches, in our troubles, he can fully identify with what you're going through at this very moment. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because Jesus is a man, he knows how you feel. Because he is God, he can meet your every need. Walking with God is characterized by a radical obedience to Jesus' radical call to discipleship, a rock-solid faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Finally, my third point, 
genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. You know, Peter walked with God, there's no question about that. But he also failed miserably. He, he was a man who was weak, just like all of us. And also his greatest failure took place the night that Jesus was arrested. In the hour of Jesus' greatest need, Peter abandoned him. Denied knowing him, not just once, not twice, but three times. This didn't surprise Jesus. He told him exactly what would happen. In the upper room, Jesus told Peter, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter didn't believe it. He vowed, I will lay down my life for you. He had no idea whatever, whatsoever, how weak he really was. I'm sure Peter could just imagine himself standing before the Sanhedrin, side by side with Jesus, willing to go to the cross with him. But that night, Peter couldn't even stand before a little servant girl and confess that he was a follower of Jesus. She said to Peter, you also were with Jesus? Peter caved. Three times he vowed, I do not know the man. And the third time he did with oaths and cursings. And immediately the, what, the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want you to understand that Peter's tears were tears of repentance. The Bible says there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that was true of Peter. He repented and God forgave him. No question about it. You know, early in my Christian life, I had the idea that repentance is something that we need to do to be saved. <laughs> and then that's it. No more need of repentance. I really felt that way when I was an early Christian, but how wrong was I? I need to repent today as much as I did the day I was saved, and so, and so do you. The Christian life is a life of repentance, a continual turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ in obedience. It's Martin Luther who is quoted as saying, we continue in the Christian life the way we entered in. How did we enter into the Christian life? Repentance. And that's how we're to live the Christian life, by repentance. A continual turning away from sin and self and turning to Jesus and repentance and faith. I love what 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for the promise that repentance brings? Uh, Peter failed miserably, but he repented and God forgave him. God forgave him. But he still needed to be restored to his apostleship and service. And that's the last part of what I want to talk to you about. It all happened once again on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. When the risen Christ appeared to Peter and the other disciples, the story is told in John chapter 21. Jesus cooked breakfast for his disciples and, and then he and Peter takes a walk and have a conversation. Peter had boasted that, that in the upper room that he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples put together. He said to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Another time he says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
Peter didn't lay down his life for Jesus, and he did fall away. Peter denied Jesus three times. So what does Jesus do? He asked Peter to affirm his love three times. He is restoring him to his place of apostleship and also service. He says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <laughs> you confess to. Jesus uses that special word agape, which means full and complete love. Full and complete love. And Jesus says, Peter, you claim to love me with a full and complete love, more than all the others. Now, all, after all that has happened, do you love me, agape? Do you love me with this full and complete love? Jesus' words cut deeply into Peter's heart. He was to be the rock, but the rock had crumbled. And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses a different word for love. Not agape, full and complete love, but phileo, which means deep affection. Well, see, Peter couldn't bring himself to use the word agape. Instead, he says, Lord, I can't say that I have this full and complete love for you after all I've done. But Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I have this deep affection for you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Well, Jesus asked Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agape? Do you love me with this full and complete love? And Peter answers again, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I have this deep affection for you. And Jesus said, Well, tend my sheep. Finally, finally, Jesus asked Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time, Jesus uses the same word that Peter had been using, phileo, deep affection. And Peter was crushed. Was Jesus now doubting his affection for him? And Peter cries out, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. You know that I have this deep affection for you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, I thought about this so often. What was Jesus trying to do? Was he trying to hurt or humiliate Peter? Not at all. He was doing something wonderful for Peter. He was restoring Peter's apostleship and his place of service among the apostles by allowing him to affirm his love for Jesus. Peter had already been forgiven, but he needed to be restored to his service. Now, in closing, what, what are some of the takeaways here? Briefly, let me just mention just a few. Number one, we all fail. We all fail. Peter thought he was so strong. But when the test came, when the greatest test in his life came, he fell flat on his face. Folks, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have feet of clay. Not a person. We all fail. Now think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We all fall. But the good news is Jesus is the great forgiver and the great restorer if we do what? Repent. If we repent. Genuinely repent. And the good news is we can take all of our failures and we can take all of our sins to the one who died for them all. And that's Jesus. Where are you today? Have you failed him? Well, the good news is just take your failures, take your sins to him, repent, and he will restore you to your place 
of service. He'll do it. He'll do it. The second takeaway is this. What Jesus wants more than anything is your love. That's all that he wanted from Peter. That's all he wants from you. He wants your love. And Jesus is asking you and he's asking me today, do you love me? Could it be you lost your first love? Could it be you don't love Jesus like you did on the day of your salvation? Your love has grown cold. Ask God to give you a renewed love for him. A renewed love for Jesus. And thirdly, if you love Jesus, you will serve him. When Peter affirmed his love for Jesus, Jesus restored him to his service. He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of sheep out there that need to be fed and cared for in this church and in your community. And God wants you to use you in that regard. You know, if you love Jesus, you will serve him. If you love Jesus, you will serve him. You know, you can serve Jesus without loving him. People do it all the time. But you can't love Jesus without serving him. And Jesus shows us how. The night he was betrayed, what did Jesus do? He stripped himself of his outer clothing. He put a towel around his, his waist. He took a basin of water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And then when he had finished, he says, If then... Your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet. You ought to also wash one another's feet. We show our love for Jesus by serving others, serving others. There's a little poem that I came across many, many years ago, and it goes like this. I've never forgot it. It's always blessed me. Lord, help me to live day by day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel and pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Let me go back to that question we began with. What will be written on your tombstone? Will it be said of you? Will it be said of me? He walked with God, she walked with God, walking with God is marked by a radical obedience to Jesus' radical call to discipleship. Jesus is calling you right now to follow him in total obedience. Have you obeyed his call? Walking with Jesus is marked by a rock-solid faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you have that rock-solid faith in the person of Jesus Christ that he's the God-man, the only Savior? Walking with God is marked by genuine repentance. When you fail, we all do. Do you repent, obey, and follow? That's it. Repent, obey, and follow. Those are the marks of a disciple. That's what it means to walk with God. Is it true for you? Let's just pray together. You know, we've heard God's word now. This is an opportunity that, that we have to respond to him. And I just ask you to respond to God in your, own, in your own simple way. Just respond to him. 
Maybe you aren't totally surrendered to Jesus. Oh, you, you sing the song, I surrender all, but you don't mean it. What could it be that you're keeping back from Jesus? Maybe you need to surrender that now. Maybe you haven't understood exactly who Jesus Christ is, that he's the son of the living God, but God and man, fully God, fully man. Why don't in prayer you just affirm that you believe everything the Bible says about who Jesus is. Maybe you failed. Maybe you've fallen. And God is ready to pick you up and put you back on your feet again. Renew your service for him. If you repent, why don't you do that now? Say, dear God, I, I turn. I turn from that. I turn from my sin. I turn from my failure. And Lord, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to become the person that you created me to be. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.